my name is Marie White, and I'd like to welcome you to the White Bikini. And joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing great, Marie. It's good to be with you once again. It's hard to believe it's Labor Day weekend. Oh my gosh, yes. It's uh, the unofficial end of summer, so here we go. Today we are going to discuss Tom Cruise, mostly addressing his current hit Top Gun, Maverick, but also I feel like this is a second coming of Tom Cruise as a mature, grown-up man. He's not playing an ingenue anymore. No, certainly those days are behind him. I... Not to start off with a criticism or anything like that, but I would lo- I do embrace the idea of a mature Tom Cruise stepping into the elder statesman role, if you will. Uh, but I also think there's a little bit of silliness, and I know this is not wor- what we're going to talk about, but the idea that he's co-starring with 25-year-olds, even 30-year-olds, as the leading ladies in some of these movies, Top Gun Maverick notwithstanding, they actually uh, cast an age-appropriate female lead. I think that's silly. Like the, um, I'm thinking specifically to the Mission Impossible roles, where a 50-something-year-old Tom Cruise is co-starring with a 21, 22, 23-year-old girl, woman. I think that's kind of silly. I think up until you're 50 or 55, you can get away with it. But I think even a Tom Cruise, a Sean Penn, a Brad Pitt, once someone can call you grandpa, you got to pack it up. Yeah, you just kind of, you got that creepy old guy look. And, you know, you've got, you know, the gray hair and the wrinkled skin next to someone who's like dewy complected with perfect uh, muscle tone. It's just, it looks odd. And I think it's a little bit, it's a, it's. It harkens back to the good old days, and I mean that sarcastically, of the patriarchy. I was happy with his love interest in Top Gun Maverick because it's okay to be attractive, yet also look older, and she Absolutely. did both well. I thought, yes. I thought Jennifer Connelly was wonderful for the role. Hopefully we can talk about why uh, they went with Jennifer Connelly and not the previous female lead from the Top Gun of what, what was it, 86, the first one came out, or 87? You act like I saw it in the movie theater at Lawrence Park. I Please, I forgive me, I know not of what I speak. <laughs> I feel like the original, I'm gonna say this politely, I don't blame them for not having her be his love interest, her being Kelly McGillis. Yes, yes. It was a political decision, right? I don't think it was political. I think they should have had her come back as a cameo, but not as his love interest. You know what? I I have a slightly different perspective on that. I think if she were to come back as in a cameo role with Tom Cruise with a new leading lady, it would have been like, I think it actually would have been a much more direct yeah, he did. He went for the upgrade kind of move. Do you disagree? No, but Nick, as a man, let's be honest, you're going to go for the upgrade and so would I. That's true. That's true. But you know, to have Kelly McGillis there and to reprise the role, 
and then give her essentially throw her a bone um i'm glad if they did offer her the role i'm glad she didn't take it and if they chose not to offer the, her the role i still think that was also a wise decision i don't so we're also let's also include meg ryan meg ryan should have been in this movie she might have said no i i don't think she was offered i from my understanding of it um meg ryan and kelly mcgillis were both not formally offered the role uh the opportunity to reprise the roles they played in the first top gun movie but val kilmer was yes yes okay yeah I'm gonna okay you see where i'm going yeah. yeah you see where i'm going with this i stand yeah. corrected so val kilmer I understand, you know, he's got a serious medical condition, you know, serious health condition, but Val Kilmer was a primary character in the movie. He played an important role. He was essentially the heart of the film. Uh, in some ways, uh, Tom Cruise uh, and his and his character uh, takes a little bit of a backseat to Val Kilmer in terms of the, I want to say, the emotions of the movie. Well, and yet... And yet there wasn't an opportunity for Kelly McGillis or Meg Ryan. So here we go again. I was upset about Meg Ryan. Kelly McGillis, not as much, but I'm wrong because they both should have been given somewhat of a cameo similar to Val Kilmer. And especially it's okay for Tom Cruise to move on from someone he dated in 1986. But they kept talking about his mother being Meg Ryan. Yes, that was that was absolutely glaring. The fact that you know she was referenced in the movie, and there is a perfectly living Meg Ryan, and they just kill her off in the movie. So that that felt a bit like a burn to me. I don't know if it's because of my you know my pro feminist sensibilities, but that that really felt awkward, unnecessarily awkward. Yeah, but. When you say that, if you have a choice to date current day Kelly McGillis or Jennifer Connelly, you know who you're going out with. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's what I meant by the politics of yeah. it. I don't necessarily mean it in terms of you know Republicans versus Democrat, but in terms of the how they negotiated the associations in the movie, how they determined essentially the cast. You know, that is a degree of uh, political shrewdness. But let's get into the meat and the potatoes of. Uh, you know, our impressions of Tom Cruise and the evolution of Tom Cruise, because I think he did grow in the movie. I think the original Top Gun was a young, cocky kid. This one, he's a little bit more sober. What are your thoughts? I saw the original Top Gun in the summer of 1986. I was a hot 22 years old, maybe. I thought it was the corniest movie I ever saw and never saw it again. When you recommended Top Gun Maverick, I hesitated to the point I only re I read it two months after it came out that I thought I'm going to go for it. No, it was definitely a surprise. It was one of those movies where I went in there with the expectations of, you know, some days you're really hungry and you will go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger and sometimes that cheeseburger is good enough. But some days you really want a steak and you're really disappointed if all they have on the menu is a cheeseburger. And I think when I went to see Maverick, I went in there with the expectations of, you know, these guys are going to throw me, you know, a crusty cheeseburger and I'd be like, all right, whatever. 
but I went in, I watched the movie and I was like, oh my gosh, they went above and beyond. This, there was a level of artistry. There was a level of care. There was a craftsmanship to the movie that really impressed me. When I started watching it, it took me two minutes and I was hooked. And when I started watching it, full disclosure, I've never spent this much money. I actually bought the movie for $20. That's I, a, yeah, that's more than the tickets to see it in the theater when you think about it. I felt that I could not, I couldn't miss this movie for last weekend. I was like, I have to watch it. A, because I want to stay connected with pop culture. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to watch it. I spent $20 on my Comcast bill. And when I was checking out some updated information, Top Gun Maverick breaks U.S. sales records for week one digital sales. It's the most selling ever in the history. Yeah, you know what? They deserve it. However much money this thing winds up making in the end, they deserve every penny because, as I said, there is a level of craftsmanship. It's almost like the the old Hollywood golden years of crafting a movie with an appropriate beginning, middle, and end. And I think they executed that in terms of the storytelling, in terms of the pathos, in terms of the evocative emotions. I think it was a perfect movie. I spent $20. I really didn't want to, but I felt, this is going to sound really corny, but I felt like I owed it to myself and Tom Cruise to spend the money and see it. I was looking up Rotten Tomatoes. There was not one bad review, even from the most cynical people. That's saying a lot. And I think I'm now one of those people. I, I think I'm in a phase in my life where I think I'm old enough that I've seen all the tropes. I know all the pratfalls. I know all the plot devices that gets you from the beginning of the movie through the conclusion. And I was impressed with what I saw. So I would, I would put my, I would count myself as one of the cynical. I thought it was corny but I loved every minute and it actually made me feel more hopeful for the future. And just kind of where we're heading as a country, I, I miss the days when everyone worked at a team. One of the most important scenes for me is when John Hamm didn't understand why Tom Cruise was taking him to the beach, but it was that teamwork that connecting that we don't really have as a society anymore. I was about to say, you know, it'd be great for us to, we're singing the praises of the movie to get into some of the details behind the movie. And I thought, so the backstory is, or at least the plot of this story is, it's now 40 years removed essentially from- It can't be. I know, from, from the first story, or 40 years removed, so. And one of the things that's apparent about Tom Cruise's character is that he hasn't really taken advantage of the opportunities that have come his way in terms of being promoted. As we alluded to, Iceman, the Val Kilmer character, is an admiral. But Tom Cruise is far below his potential in terms of military rank and how 
how how high he could have been in the Navy. And a lot of that had to do with his quote unquote maverick style, his inability just to follow the rules and all the times that he's been censured by the military. So the story goes, there is a crisis in Iran and an elite team of naval fighters are assembled to destroy this location that is refining uranium that will be used to build a nuclear bomb. It's against United States policy, so they assembled the best fighters in the Navy. And Tom Cruise leads these young people, are very individualistic, very self-motivated. But as you alluded to before, that's entirely opposite of what you need in order for this mission to succeed. It's a near impossible mission in terms of the flying and technical skills. But the biggest challenge that they have to overcome is learning how to work as a team. I agree. And I thought it was touching when his, first when he saw his love interest. I think the one thing that I liked was that Val Kilmer was really controlling what was happening with Tom Cruise. It was kind of almost like he hadn't grown up. Yeah, Tom Cruise, uh, excuse me, as you said, Val Kilmer was the adult in the room. He was still essentially, he was the father figure. He was still looking out for Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise still had his bad boy ways. But it wasn't corny though. It wasn't corny and that's what I expected. Well, Tom, I think we're hopping all over the place, which I'm guilty of. Tom Cruise, was it his bad boy ways or was he punishing himself for his friend's death? Actually, that's a better point. I think after uh, Goose's death, I think what what is interesting, and, and this, as we're talking, a uh, thought comes to mind, it, it, Tom Cruise is suffering from a severe case of arrested development and an arrested development brought about by severe personal trauma with the loss of his friend. And what's interesting now is that Goose's son is now in the Navy and he's flying alongside Tom Cruise in this mission. And so it sets up this weird dynamic and his son does uh, blames Tom Cruise for his father's death. And I think the fact that he had to deal with Goose's son, he immediately a switch went off and he took over the role of a father that Iceman was giving to him. Yes, so there it's, it's this nested level of paternalism and care where Goose, uh, where Tom is looking out for Goose's son, but as you said, really astutely, and I never really picked up on it in, in the movie, you know, you just pointed out to me as we're speaking now, that Goose is Tom Cruise's father figure. And so you have essentially generations of men learning to care for one another. And I think it's a, it's a simple, it's a, it's not an obvious element in the movie, but I think it's an important element. See, I disagree. I thought all of it was obvious. Okay. No, for me, the Val Kilmer essentially being Tom Cruise's father figure, that wasn't obvious. It was obvious that he was, you know, greasing the wheels and making it possible for Tom Cruise to remain in the Navy. But I never really thought of it in terms of being a father figure. So that that point I give you full credits for. Thank you, Nicholas. That's a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. 
I think the one part that made me tear up is when he went to go see Iceman when he was dying. Tom Cruise doesn't usually cry. If I'm, you know, if all the Tom Cruise movies that I've seen, you know, he does his ridiculous stunts and over-the-top action. But Tom Cruise usually does not open himself to sadness. We've seen anger, you know, think back to Born on the Fourth of July. We've seen the rage. We've seen the mania, but we've not seen that tenderness. I was sniffling, but the one thing, and now I'm putting this on me personally, is when Val Kilmer typed on that little machine, let it go. Yeah, and, and I think it's also important for anyone who hasn't seen the movie that Val Kilmer is incapable of speaking. So all the communication that takes place between Tom Cruise and he, it's all done electronically through through texting, essentially. But he does talk at the end briefly. Yes, and I thought that was an incredible moment. And you know, you know I, that was Val Kilmer using AI. That's what I heard, that it was, I thought it was well done. I thought they made him appropriate for the role. They didn't make him look artificial. I thought you could see that he was not well and uh, that he was in fact dying. And I thought the movie captured that really, really well. And I think with Iceman's death, Tom Cruise is the only, the last man standing. Yes, that's another, there's an, that's another plot element that I think is, that comes to the fore. And also, you know, going back to riffing on the father figure element, now that Iceman is gone, Tom Cruise is now the elder statesman. So he's now responsible for all these young kids. And just while the thought is fresh in my mind, I this is something that is a personal pet peeve of mine. I celebrate Hollywood for trying to create movies with diverse casts, but I, I find that when they do it wrong, when it's a black person for the sake of it's a black person, when it's a woman for the sake of it being a woman, when it's someone who's Asian for the sake of being Asian, when they do that, and it's not developed, the, the character is not developed and fleshed out, it becomes obnoxious. And it plays into every racist, it, it's almost like a modern racist stereotype where you sit and go, okay, eh, there's the black guy that they put in there. It's diversity for the sake of diversity. And I thought they did an effective job of casting a diverse crew of characters without it being black, white, you know, Asian woman, as if someone was checking a box. And I'm not about to put Hollywood up on a pedestal, but I thought they did it well. They executed it well. And I didn't feel that they were there for the sake of being there. They actually had something to say. They actually had a role in the plot. Yeah, I think everyone was perfectly cast. Tom Cruise did an incredible job because I think that he knows too that he's played the hero long enough. And I think he wanted to give an accurate portrayal of, he's my generation, of who we are now. We are not the same people we might have even been five years ago. And that sense of growth and maturity can be burdensome when you kind of always want to stay in one place 
And that's why when Iceman taped, excuse me, typed, let it go, it was a metaphor for letting so many things go. 40 years of baggage. Correct. That's and a lot, you know. That's a, that's a long time. Yeah, the death, the death of your best friend. Um, and the responsibility that you feel towards his son, who's now a naval aviator, yeah, in, in just three words, it summed up 40 years of baggage. And, and it's it's really apt for our lives, you know, on the other side of that screen is that so much of what we experience every day is a, is a function, is a need to just let it go. That once the guilt is becomes too much once the pain it becomes too much once the sadness becomes too much the only thing you can do is accept reality and let it go and i thought as you said that was a very important movie uh, an element in the movie. miles teller played his son he did an incredible job with the anger blaming tom cruise as a child would would blame his father for everything that went wrong in his life he being uh, goose well, Goose's son. Yes, yes, that's. I just want to make sure I clarify that point. So it was almost like Tom Cruise was living one life and then with this assignment that I'm wondering, did Iceman purposely assign him that? I think he did. I think there's a, there's a part in the movie where, I mean, you know, I, I think we sort of discussed it, but the implication uh, and I think John Hamm's character, um, I, I, if you can recall the name of the character that he plays in the movie, that would help me out a little bit. But John Hamm's character. John Hamm played Adam Bo Cyclone Simpson. Okay, so General Simpson makes a point of without Iceman, you'd be nothing. You know, nothing being, you'd no longer be an a, a naval aviator to Tom Cruise at many points throughout the movie. So it's important to recognize that. Iceman was the one that was essentially keeping keeping him afloat because with that kind of grief if you think you're responsible for the for the death of your best friend it's a it's a kind of grief that becomes a black hole that would just suck you in and I think for the longest while Iceman was keeping Tom Cruise afloat I think he was keeping him alive he was keeping him alive I think you're absolutely right and that's you know Tom Cruise never married he most of his long-term relationships were severed. And yeah, it was, it was just Tom Cruise, the leather, the leather jacket and the motorcycle. But that's also a symptom of trauma, isolating yourself away. But I did, a couple of things that I liked that I think made Tom Cruise's character, his full name being Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. And Jennifer Conley, when he reconnected with her, her being Penny Benjamin, the one thing I liked is when the daughter went up to Tom Cruise and said, don't hurt her again. I thought that was great. And of course, there was a beautiful scene of Tom Cruise sneaking out of uh, the house. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, uh, They're both trying to avoid the attention of uh, Penny's daughter. And Tom Cruise happens to leap from a ledge to the ground. And as he picks himself up and looks straight ahead, he sees his daughter <laughs> and he's just overcome with just absolutely mortified. I but thought that was a great moment right there. But it was that moment he realized 
I affected this child when I left. He did. He did. And and I think it's it goes back to I well not goes back to it's actually perhaps the other um, element in this conversation. The other element is closure. It's about capturing your humanity and becoming part of what it means to be human. And I think that's an important uh, plot element that's implied through the movie that once we see, once Iceman has brought him back into the family, if you will, Tom Cruise reconnects with other human beings. You can see that he's trying to clean up the loose ends and trying to clean up the damage that he's caused throughout the last four decades of his life. Could you imagine that burden? I can't. I don't think I, well, technically I haven't lived long enough to, to really appreciate that kind of Okay, Nick, um, settle down. Oh, you know what I mean. So I think Tom Cruise's evolution as obviously Captain Pete Maverick is it's almost like a switch went off. He was the hot guy with the leather jacket until he wasn't. Exactly. And, and when he, you isolate yourself away like that, you can think time has not moved on. I thought, you know, sorry, I cut you off. No. Go ahead. No, I just, I thought you said something really interesting. And, and, and it, they actually capture this in the in the film where he enters the this bar where Penny Penny's the bar owner. And uh, it's a bar uh, for naval aviators. Um and I thought it was interesting that he's sitting there and nobody knows who he is. Nobody knows what he's done. And you have the next generation of young aviators, young naval aviators in the room. And they're the center of attention and they're excited. And there's a scene where he actually gets tossed out of the bar because he couldn't pay up. You know, he's hitting on Penny in the bar. And it, I thought I thought they did a great job of capturing the way things were when you know, 40 years ago when he was, as you said, the hot guy in the leather jacket, you know, the cool guy in the bar, to almost being irrelevant. Because when he enters that bar, nobody knows who he is and no one cares. The girls aren't looking at him. He just He's just quiet old man sitting at the bar, at the edge of the bar himself, hitting on a, hitting on a woman. And he, ends, you know, gets tossed out. Did we mean mature, not old? He's old. He's an old man. I'm going, I'm sticking with old. I also kind of got teary-eyed when he was looking in and they, Rooster Bradshaw was playing Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. And you yeah. could see his friend sitting there playing. And that was the moment that, along with so many others, that he realized, my God, 40 years have passed by. Exactly, exactly. You know, the flashback, I think they did a, uh, a montage of when Goose was essentially doing the very same thing 40 years ago before they left for their mission. And now these kids are essentially doing the same thing. And he realizes that it's just him. It's it's really, the movie is interesting. Aside from his relationship with Penny and Iceman, um, Tom Cruise is alone. And I, and I found that to be really sad. He had no one. Well, I, I agreed. Well, no, he did have Iceman and Iceman's family. But he was he was even removed from them because, you know, as, as we talked about Meg Ryan's character, you know, they killed her off. And uh, Goose's son, Miles Teller, 
wanted nothing to do with him. And the one thing I thought was interesting is he kept saying, it's your fault. Why did you let me go into the Navy earlier? And when Tom Cruise explained to his friend why he had to do it, I think also when he heard himself explaining it, he kind of felt more grown up then, because then that was something a father would do. Exactly, exactly. That's that's where the motif of the paternal figure, I think they do a really good job of making allusions to that idea. And as you said, um, he he's essentially now Goose's son's father with Goose having died. And actually, I think it's also one, you know, so we've sung the praises of the movie and I think appropriately so, but this is where I think Meg Ryan would have been absolutely appropriate, even if it's a cameo where, you know, they do a flashback, you know, I guess they kill her off. So they do a flashback on, and they could do a deathbed scene where she says, hey, you know, I did, it, it was my idea. It was my idea that um, I didn't want you in the Navy. I didn't want you to follow your father. And I thought that would have been even better. Do we really know why Meg Ryan wasn't invited or we're assuming she was not? We're assuming, but you let me get really real with you right now. I think with what Meg Ryan has done in terms of cosmetic surgery and the fact that she's a woman who is older and she's altered her face. You know, we discussed this with Linda Evangelista in a previous podcast and the damage that she's, you know, damage in quotes, she's done to her face. But I think she's altered herself so much. I think they, I think they made the choice that she didn't look good. And that's my position. I think that's why they chose not to, because Meg Ryan can still act. Kelly McGillis can still act. But I think they're older. And I think Tom Cruise and the producers decided she did not look good. I think, uh, is it Jerry Bruckheimer? Is the executive producer? Correct. I, I think it's that simple. I think it's that simple. They think they they made the conclusion that those two women were old and did not look good. Well, while we're talking, I Googled what the director, Joseph Kaczynski, had to say. Not in the story I worked on. Clearly, their spirits hang over the film in certain ways. There is a glimpse, as you guys know, of both of them in the film. But it was important that we wanted to make sure we were telling a new chapter of Maverick's life. We didn't want to be looking back the whole time. So we got his relationship with Penny, which is the focus of the story, which you know for the diehard fans is a fun one because she was only mentioned briefly in Top Gun. Just that one line of dialogue was a great starting point for this whole new chapter. Platitudes. Platitudes. I think it's plausible de- It's plausible deniability. Um, it's a political, it's a, it's political rhetoric. So I, 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 while I think it's a good cover story, I don't think that's the real reason. Let's call it what is, what it is. They're past their last effable moment. That's it. That's exactly what it is. I think there could have been an opportunity. I, I listen. I think fundamentally there is a germ of truth in there that you don't want to talk about the next generation constantly looking back to the previous generation. 
if Meg Ryan looked like Tom Cruise, because that's the other thing we got to say about Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise takes really good care of himself. And granted, granted, some of that is probably, you know, human growth hormones that he's pumping into himself. But aside from that, he he really does take excellent care of himself. And of course, his acting is par excellence. But if Meg Ryan and Kelly McGillis were age appropriate, were essentially look age appropriate in the way that I think Tom Cruise looks age appropriate, I think they would have found a role for them. So, eh. Don't buy it. And you know what? Can I be honest? I'm okay with that. I really am. I'm okay with that. A cr- Tom Cruise in life is not going to date a Kelly McGillis in the real world, and I don't blame him. That's true. That's true. And you know what? We've spent so much time um, trying. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I consider myself a feminist, and I, I think we've spent so much time trying to argue for changes that will create more equality for men and women. But the reality is that the world is an unequal place. And perhaps that needs to be reflected that we can't solve every problem. We can only solve the important ones. So you're right. And I definitely thought when the Iceman died, so many things happened to Tom Cruise so quickly in the movie that he was just at the point that it was a self-realization, self-actualization that his character was like, I can't go on living the way I am. And he needed people. That was the other thing. As much as he had come to rekindle his relationship with Penny in the movie, I think he also realized that the kids needed him. They needed his knowledge and his expertise and his training, but he needed those kids. He needed to be a part of something bigger. And I think, as you alluded to before, that's what we see in the um, playing football on the beach, which is a best, it's an, it's, a, it's an homage to that very famous um, 1986 top, top Gun scene where, you know, all these guys are oily, oiled up and flexing playing volleyball. But this one is actually more inclusive, men and women, and it had that diverse cast. You could see an evolution. And I thought that's what it represented. Not only just in terms of within the plot itself, building a team, but I thought the way the scene was shot, the fact that it had men and women and it was diverse, I thought that was a deliberate act. The fact that they made that reference in the movie, that you know Hollywood was a different place and that we're, we're coming along. But I also like the fact that Pete Maverick Mitchell, he knew his place also was someone on the sidelines. Yes, and I thought that was deliberate. The fact that the, the young people were the center of attention and he stood there and he knew his role. He knew that he didn't need to be the one running the football. Matter of fact, uh, there are a couple of scenes where it's a young woman who I thought did a great job in the role where it's a woman playing a role, but they actually gave her something to do. So it didn't feel like it was just a woman playing a role. You know, she was given an important role in the movie and it didn't seem unrealistic. I think, here's another thing I think Hollywood does sometimes when it gets diverse casts. It's that it gives a five foot four woman who's a hundred pounds and it puts her in a role where she's like picking up and suplexing, you know, a 250 pound man. And unless we're talking about a superhero movie, that's also unrealistic. 
So Hollywood is figuring out how to use, you know, women and how to portray women and how to portray African-Americans and how to portray Asians and all the various members of the human family. I think we're slowly starting to go there. And I was very, very pleased with the way Hollywood um, did it in Top Gun Maverick. There was not a misstep in this movie. I don't think so. I mean, I, I made mention to maybe having an opportunity to see Meg Ryan or t Kelly McGillis. But you make it. You made an interesting counter argument that it probably wasn't necessary. Um, just a few, you know, takes from the old film, make an illusion and then moving on. I still don't buy the argument, but I understand the overall storytelling element of it. And I think for me, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. But I feel for me, I think I was moved because Tom Cruise and I are the same generation. And it's when it's time to grow up, it's time to grow up. And when you're trying to put so many mistakes, tragedies from the past, that's why when Iceman typed, let it go, he was saying so much more than just let it go. Agreed, 100%. Uh, I think that may have been the tag, that should have been the tagline of the movie. I don't know if it would have really resonated you know, on those movie posters. Is that even a thing anymore, movie posters? Um, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and you're calling us old. <laughs> Wait, didn't you pay cash at Starbucks a few days ago? I'll leave that there. No, no, worse still, you can't. You cannot pay cash at Starbucks. I should clarify, you wanted to pay cash. I No, actually, no. I Listen, I will freely throw myself under the bus when it's appropriate, but I happened to be at a Starbucks and this older gentleman came in and he offered the uh, cashier 20. And she's oh. like, yes. So that's where they came from. I'm like, wait a second. They don't take cash anymore, so How did that's what they get. for his drink. Uh, credit card. Okay, all right. Look, look at me worrying about it. And I, I think for me, Tom Cruise, Sean Penn. Look, now I'm in the the superstar category. John Stewart. John Stewart. The party went on until it didn't, and it's not easy to grow up. And that's coming from someone that had a lot of difficulty growing up. Growing up is not fun, but I like the way it was embraced. He was ready and it was time and he was ready to take on that next role. Can I nitpick one thing? Sure. And, and I think you'll agree with me on this one. There wasn't a single gray hair on Tom Cruise's head. Yeah, at least Brad Pitt, George Clooney, yeah. they've gone gray, Sean Penn. But you know what? If that's the worst... Exactly. It is the worst. That's the worst I can say about the movie. The worst I can say about the movie is that that include, you know, the previous two actresses and Tom Cruise, you know, didn't have a single gray hair. If that's the worst you can say about any movie, that's a major achievement. But Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise... We're all facing the next big decade, and this decade is not an easy jump. So what was growing up at 50 is not the same growing up 10 years later. It's a, it's a different dynamic of 
friends who are gone, time that has passed, it's almost like a tidal wave of mistakes that you've made that no matter how hard you try, you can't outrun anymore. I and agree. you have to look back and sift and examine and figure out what to keep and what to throw away. And I think he's speaking to his generation of film goers. Like, here we are. What are we going to do with this time that's ahead of us? And I thought it was interesting that he was able to do that. He was that you could see that level of introspection. It was it was really a high level of acting skills because it wasn't articulated. You could just see the the tension on his face. You could read his mind, you know, as the recognition that all those years that he wasted or to be a little bit less critical, all those years where he didn't take up take opportunities to take his life into a different direction, it started to weigh on him and it became heavy and you could see that. And I thought it was, it's a silly little movie, but I thought Tom Cruise did a great job of conveying all that information in just through nonverbal means. It's not like he sat down and had a discursive conversation with another character. It was, you could just see the, the, the torment that was on him from all those past decisions. And, and I get it and I feel it. I go through the same thing and I'm just using Brad Pitt as an example. Brad Pitt, marriage falls apart. Tom Cruise, obviously, he's been married three times. He's involved with Scientology. He has children. Not everything worked out for either of them. Granted, they're multimillionaires, but that same sense of time switching and getting ahead of you it's very overwhelming and unless you feel have felt it you don't know what it feels like and it's terrifying and you can't outrun it no i understand i, I think i understand what you're saying i think there's a an element of irrespective of the number of the size of your bank account at the end of the day we're all human beings having human experiences and that means a lot it means that we're connected, irrespective of zip code, irrespective of the square footage of your house or whether or not you own a private jet. We're all human beings having very, very powerful human experiences. And that's what connects us all. And it connects, I felt like he was speaking, not to me personally, but to his generation. Agree. Look, we've been through a lot We've had a lot of loss, a lot of gain. Where are we going from here? We know what happened. What are we doing with the time left that we have? And who do we want to be moving forward? It's a very difficult uh, difficult question to address. And you can only address it with the tools that you bring to the table. I think I give Maverick, Top Gun, and A++. I will never spend $20 again on a movie, <laughs> but I figured Tom Cruise deserves it. I'm glad I spent it. But I'd like to go over a couple fast facts. So we agree that we recommend to our listeners, please watch Top Gun Maverick. Yes. 
irrespective of the genre of movie that you prefer, unless you're into like, you know, Japanese art films, if you're into Hollywood productions, this movie will be very pleasurable to watch. What I'd like to go over some fast facts about Tom Cruise, just for some fun. Are you ready? Yes. Disney modeled a certain beloved character after Tom Cruise. Aladdin, the cartoon, was based on Tom Cruise. Never knew that. So Tom Cruise is the roguish Aladdin, at least in the new in the adaptation. Is that what well, you're if you've ever spotted a slight slight similarity between Tom Cruise and Aladdin from the Disney film with the same title, then it is because the animators at Disney actually borrowed features from Tom Cruise. Face and hair to make the character more likable. I'm gonna have to look it up. I believe you, but I'm gonna have to look it up. I never, never put two and two together. But maybe that's why he's so likable, because you know, for the most part, Tom Cruise as as an actor on screen is a likable character. He number two is he divorced all of his wives when they were 33 years old. Ugh, he's one of those. At least what Leonardo DiCaprio gets rid of them before they reach 26. You know what? Leonardo deserves his own podcast. <laughs> He improvised the risky business dance. I think I did know that one. And it's hard to believe, but in 1981, the Ray-Ban Sunglass Company was in trouble and only sold 18,000 models that year. But with the help of the placement in risky business, Tom Cruise single-handedly. Save the entire business, thanks to the shade, prominent cameos in Tom Cruise's Risky Business, Top Gun, and Rayman. And in 1986, Ray-Ban enjoyed a 40% increase in sales. I can believe it. I think wasn't there also? You may remember this that because of Top Gun. Yes, that's exactly where I'm going. Because of Top Gun,、uh, the Navy actually. Uh, witnessed a surge of new applicants. Agreed, it did. Tom Cruise could have been Iron Man. I think I did hear that, but、um, I can see it. I and you know if he had taken the, do you know what happened? Did he reject the role, or did they just move in a different direction, or was he? Before、filming? Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Tony Stark in the kickoff to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Iron Man, the part was first offered to Cruise, who declined the role. Uh, I bet he's kicking himself. Not because, not because、that. of the money, but like that's a great role. I don't. It.、Uh, it's not the money. Tom Cruise is more money than you know the man upstairs. But that's a t- the Tony Stark character is a great role. He probably does regret it. He refuses to be an action figure. Okay. Since But, the beginning of his action movie days, Tom Cruise has vehemently and repeatedly. Denied request for his likeness to be made into video games and action figures. Well, that's curious. I wonder if it's some some sort of like、um, religious thing. I don't know. He never, he never won an Oscar. I think that will happen. You, well, you talk about these actors: Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn. They're entering the next stage of their careers. I think if Tom Cruise keeps doing what he's doing and he keeps on taking care of himself and he pays, if Tom Cruise pays this much attention to his roles going forward, I guarantee you Tom Cruise will win an Oscar. 
it's only a matter of time. He's got the skills. It's a matter of putting the right role together. And I think he's a seasoned actor. I think it's inevitable. On October 10th, 2006, the Japan Memorial Day Association announced they would begin celebrating every October 10th as Tom Cruise Day in Japan. That's wild. Since he had made more trips, now granted this is almost 20 years ago, which is a whole other conversation, nearly two dozen to the country than any other Hollywood star at that time. And was this to do productions in Japan, does it say? Productions, visiting, everything. Okay. Did you ever see the movie Interview with a Vampire? I barely remember it, but yes, I remember he and Brad Pitt looking like sexy vampires. Yes. What do you mean barely? You were like 20 years old. Oh, no, I wasn't. I was a, I was, I was still in diapers. It came out in 1994. How old were you in 1994? 16. Okay. When casting for the 1994 interview with the vampire, Anne Rice, the author, publicly criticized Tom Cruise in the role of Lestat, claiming that his performance would be nothing short of mediocre. However, after she saw the film, she changed her mind and purchased a two-page ad in Daily Variety for a cool sum of $8,000 to apologize to Cruise. I think what has happened to Tom Cruise is the weird stuff that he's done off screen the jumping on Oprah's couch, his Scientology, his opposition to psychiatry, all the non-acting related elements of his life. I think it's given people the wrong idea about what he is as an actor. It's almost as if his antics give people the impression that he's silly. And Tom Cruise as an actor is not silly. I mean, I I don't, off the top of my head, and granted I'm on the spot right now, I cannot think of any movie that Tom Cruise has done that is a bad movie. I'm not saying it's good, but there's a difference between being not a good movie and being a bad movie. And- No, he's never been in a bad movie. You know, yes, I think there've been roles where you're like, whatever, but Tom Cruise is a committed actor and you can see the level of obsessiveness um, that makes him weird off screen, how it translates on screen to make him a really amazing actor. But that level of obsessiveness, I respect it and understand it, is driven by childhood trauma. Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, let's let's think back to the beginning, back in the 1980s when, um, was he in Red Dawn? Was Tom Cruise in Red Dawn? Was he in Red Dawn? No. Well, you know what? I apologize. Let me look that up real quick. Okay, because while you're looking that up, I I just want to say, I think when Tom Cruise came to the fore, when when audiences first met Tom Cruise, he wasn't the guy that we thought. I think, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I remember uh, C. Thomas Howell. That name comes to mind. Tom Cruise was not in... He was not in Red Dawn. There's another... He was in Taps. That was it. I think that's that's the movie I'm thinking of. And he was in The Outsiders. Those two movies, when when you saw young Tom Cruise, Hollywood audiences alike probably would not have picked Tom Cruise to be that guy. And I think because of, I, I think he's got a little bit of Napoleon a, a Napoleon complex, being a guy of uh, you know smaller than average stature. 
I think he's worked harder than everybody else. Because, you know, I think we said this before, uh, Chad Lowe was supposed to be Tom Cruise in terms of the career success. Because he was this beautiful guy that, you know, the camera just kind of like disappeared when it, you know, on a, on a close up of his face. And it's, and of course, Tom Cruise is an attractive man, but, you know, if you had to pick at the dawn of their careers, Brad Pitt or Chad Lowe, for instance, you'd have gone definitely Chad Lowe, not this little five foot six, five foot seven guy with a weird tooth and a big nose. But I think it says a lot about how committed Tom Cruise is as a movie, as an actor, as a producer. And I, and I say that with all admiration. And I want to go over his top five films. And you can let me know if you saw them and agree. Sure. Five, Tropic Thunder. Great, great. <laughs> he was incredible as the foul mouth Les Grossman. And I think the fact that he was able to be vulnerable, because that's another thing that Tom Cruise does that I think people that people find weird about him. He doesn't seem to allow himself to be vulnerable in the sense of sadness or being mocked. No, and but I, there's... And I thought I, he did a great job with that. I did notice, this is so random, but at the Queen's Jubilee, he, I think he lives in England now. And there was a couple photographs of him, maybe at a... He, first of all, he was at the Jubilee, and there's a photograph of him. I don't know if you saw it, holding Kate's hand while she step, was stepping up the stairs, and William was not holding her hand. Did you see that photograph? I did not see that. I was deeply moved by that because they actually looked like a very handsome couple. And I think Tom Cruise is in a different era now on treating women differently than he did 15 years ago. Let's hope. Let's hope that's really there the case. There was something very classy yet sad about it. I'm absolutely willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know, but I, I want to believe that's absolutely fact. He really got torn apart for doing it. I thought it was very respectful and it was very classy. You know, as Americans, it's just hard to reconcile our attitudes with those of the royal family. So it may, who knows? Magnolia. I never saw that movie. I never saw it, but I remember it getting rave reviews. So I'm going to put that on my list of things to watch. I'm sorry. It was corny. I was all in with Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny. If Maverick had turned out to be like Jerry Maguire, I probably would have been um, disappointed, to be quite honest, because that's kind of the level of acting, the storytelling that I expected. Jerry Maguire. But, you know, it, it, it was OK. I thought Jerry Maguire was fine. I loved it. I loved everything about it, but it was corny, but it was the 90s, and I'm going to let that be. Okay. Mission Impossible Fallout 2018. Never saw it. You know what? I've seen, he, he's done so many of these Mission Impossible movies now that it's all a blur, but I will say the ones that stand out in my mind, the ones that I do remember, and I couldn't tell you which ones, um, fine acting job, great acting job. He gives you wonderful stunts. Um, and he does a lot of them himself. The stories are good. Um, unfortunately, I think the, the Mission Impossible ones are the ones where like you have a middle-aged Tom Cruise 
and the love interest is like 24 years old. So that's still kind of weird, but hey, you know, it's it's a process of evolution. So I'm, I'll give him that. But on the whole, I think the execution, the craftsmanship of those movies, very good. Minority Report stopped with Spielberg, 2002. I never saw it. I saw it and I thought that was a good movie. It's a great sci-fi movie. I really enjoyed Minority Report. I thought it... It's a harbinger of things to come, and I thought the storytelling, I thought Tom Cruise and Spielberg did a great job on that one too. So thumbs up on, on that selection. Number one, I didn't see either Collateral, 2004. Never saw it. Interesting. And the Born on the Fourth of July didn't make the list, huh? It was in the top 20, okay. but not the top 10. Excuse me, top five. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, that I, movie came out in 1988. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, Tom Cruise has lived, as many of us have, four lifetimes since the 80s. I thought that was his riskiest role as, you know. Ron ch- Kovic. What's that? He, he played Ron Kovic. Yeah, just, I thought that was a risky role because people know the story of Vietnam. They, at least they think they do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I, the list, I, I'm absolutely fine with the list that you presented. I'm just surprised that 4th of July wasn't on there. But, you know, which one would you take off? I think that all five movies are, are absolutely fine movies. Born on the 4th of July came out, I'm wrong, in 1989 and based on the 1976 autobiography of Ron Kovic. And it's interesting to me because still in the 80s, we were still fighting the Vietnam War because at this point, Iran-Contra happened. There was still that leftover, even though 20-some years had passed, there was still that, you know, because most of the people that fought the Vietnam War in 1989 were approaching their 40s. They were still young. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, in the 1980s, Vietnam ended in, what, 75? So we were only, you know, 5 to 15 years removed from the experience of Vietnam. So there, Vietnam vets were relevant. I mean, one of the most popular TV shows on at the, the time was um, The A-Team. Even, do you remember MacGyver? And this is something, you know, not to sidetrack the podcast, MacGyver was a Vietnam vet. In I this, love those shows. They were yeah, so corny. Yeah, A-Team, MacGyver, uh, Airwolf, uh, just to name those three. Those even, are all, me, even Magnum P.I. Yes, I. you're right. So all those characters were, were Vietnam vets. So Vietnam was very, very relevant in the consciousness of um, Americans at the point. I mean, I think in you know, the 1980s, so we were just younger, so probably didn't have the same awareness. But yeah, it, was, it stands to reason. Anyway, Marie, do you want to tell us about this week's sponsor? Yes. Nick, did you get your back-to-school haircut yet? I am going to that very special place. Why don't you tell our audience? It's the shop on Market Street. It's in Westchester. It's the top barber shop in Chester County. You can head to their Instagram page where you can book appointments right through their Instagram page through private messenger. They're the top barber shop in Chester County. And even for yourself or your children, please book an appointment with them today. So are we calling Top Gun Maverick the best picture of 2022? I am. It's the best one I've seen. So yes, it's the best movie I've seen in 2022. And I do believe that after this movie, 
we're going to see a different Tom Cruise. Something has changed in Tom. And I'm curious where this evolution is going to lead. So I think there's a relationship between the uh, the actor and the audience. And I think what takes place is that in some ways it's it's kind of reciprocal. And I think what audiences all over the world have told Tom Cruise a couple things. We want to see more of you and we want to see a more sober mature I think is the word that we're perhaps going to go with rather than old we're going to go with a more mature Tom Cruise taking on the role that is more reflective we don't we don't we've always seen Tom Cruise you know jump out of helicopters and flip motorcycles and do all that stuff that's cool but I think he's capable of digging a lot deeper into his emotions uh, a lot like what we saw on born on the 4th of July and I think that's what audiences want to see they want to see real emotions uh, I, and sophisticated storytelling I think for me George Clooney has grown up Brad Pitt has grown up I feel like we were all waiting we being my generation were waiting for Tom to say to us okay I'm grown up now and right. that's what Top Gun said to me was he was acknowledging as the character and as a person, there's been a shift in him. And I'm curious where it's going to lead, but just watching him, he was saying to his peers, okay, I get it, I'm here now, and yeah. let's go. Let's go. Nicholas, thank you for joining us today on the White Bikini. We will be taking a little break, and our next episode will be Thursday, September 22nd. And at that time, we'll be discussing Ginny Thomas and who is this person behind the news. I'm looking forward to our next episode. Bye-bye. Peace out. Heads up! It's another one. And, a, and, a, and another one. Yeet, yeet. Why you all in my ear talking a whole bunch of shit that I ain't trying to hear? Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Geek, geek, whoop, whoop. I ain't playing around. Make one boss move, I take it down. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. So, so, so come on, come on, don't. Swung on, swung on, it's the knick-knack, patty wax, steel riding, Cadillacs, family off the street, made my homies put the baggies back, still stacking plaques.